Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Variant of Concern, a troubling new COVID variant could already be in the U.S. Right now you're talking about sort of like a red flag that this might be an issue. Just when we thought things were getting better, how dangerous is the Omicron variant? I'll speak to NIH director Dr. Francis Collins next. And to America's consumer spending soars. Our economy has created a record 5.6 million jobs. But Americans say they aren't feeling optimistic. Is the economy on track or in trouble. Arkansas Republican Governor Asa Hutchinson will be here. Plus, grim milestone. Coming up on a year since the January 6th riot, is the committee investigating the attacks making progress? It's also important to our constituents that we defend democracy. House Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff is ahead. Dana Bash in Washington, where the state of our union is in a state of uncertainty. As we were giving thanks around the dinner table that the end of the pandemic could be in sight, a new variant was beginning to send shockwaves around the world. Stock market tumbling and beginning tomorrow, the U.S. will restrict travel from eight African nations. The CDC says no cases of the Omicron variant have been identified in the U.S. yet, but Dr. Anthony Fauci says he wouldn't be surprised if it's already here. Denmark just confirmed two Omicron cases from passengers arriving by plane from South Africa. And right now, researchers are racing to find out more about how this variant behaves, how aggressively it could spread, whether it is like the Delta variant or something worse. And maybe most importantly, whether the vaccines we all have now or should have will stand up to it. I want to go straight to the director of the National Institutes of Health, Dr. Francis Collins. Dr. Collins, thank you so much for joining me. So what is it about this variant that has experts so worried? I think the main thing that has us focused on this and has caused a lot of us to uh, be sort of 24-7 on Zoom calls for the last four days is that it has so many mutations. Omicron has more than 50 variants Mm -hmm. that make it different than the original virus, including more than 30 that are in the spike protein. I brought my little model along in case people have forgotten what this looks like. So these are those spike proteins that sit on the outside of the virus and enable it to get inside your cells. And the Omicron version of that, because of those changes, is going to have a different shape And of course, that's also what the antibodies are directed against. So the question is, will the antibodies generated by the vaccines that we have all had or should have had, will that enable us to be protected against this virus? I think there's good reasons to think it will probably be okay, but we need to know the real answers to that. And that's going to take two or three weeks. Well, that's good to know that you think we probably would be okay. Uh, In a statement on Friday, Moderna said, quote, the combination of mutations represents a significant potential risk to accelerate the waning of natural and vaccine-induced immunity. 
Can you explain what that means? And is it possible that the Omicron variant is what scientists like you call an escape variant? It's possible, but again, based on what we've learned so far with alpha, beta, (laughs) gamma, and delta, the vaccines, which are generated against the original virus, still work. And the boosters work particularly well. Dana, this is an important point. For people who are listening who haven't yet gotten boosted but did get their original vaccine and who are eligible now, this is another reason to do that now because the booster it basically enlarges the capacity of your immune system to recognize all kinds of different spike proteins it's never seen. This is a great day to go and get boosted or to find out how to do so at vaccines.gov. But yes, we worry that in the worst case, uh, you might have a virus that is so different uh, that the vaccines really don't enable you to have protection. That's the kind of thing we need to check out as quickly as possible. We'll get some sense of that already uh, from what's happening in South Africa, because about 37 percent of South Africans are vaccinated. We should be able to find out in the next two or three weeks is the protection that they're having somewhat better than the unvaccinated people? That data is going to start to emerge. And we'll be able to work in the laboratory and ask, if you took serum from somebody who's been vaccinated, does it actually neutralize that virus in the lab? And that'll take also another two or three weeks. So stay tuned. We're going to get better information about this. There's no reason to panic, but there's a great reason to go get boosted. Have you seen anything to suggest that this new variant causes more serious illness than previous strains? Well, that's another really important question. How severe would it be? We have no data so far to suggest that it would be. There's even a bit of a report from South Africa that maybe people with this are milder than the usual case, but they're mostly young people who have mild illness anyway. So I would say we just don't know. We do think it's more contagious when you look at how rapidly it's spread through multiple districts in South Africa. It has the uh, earmarks, therefore, of being particularly likely to spread from one person to another. Well, that was one of the things that got everybody so concerned about Delta was because it was more contagious than the original novel coronavirus. Do you think that the new variant, Omicron, is even more contagious than Delta? We don't know yet. It certainly shows the signs of being able to spread quickly. What we don't know is whether it can compete with Delta. You know, we've had occasions before where we thought a particular variant was going to take over in the United States. Remember Beta, that's Mm -hmm. uh, B1351? It never really took off because Delta was so incredibly effective at spreading that it couldn't compete. We don't know what Omicron will look like if it gets to our country, and I hope it doesn't, but it's fairly likely we'll see cases. Well, will do, it be able to compete or will it fizzle? Do you think it's already here in the United States? I, we have no evidence that it is, so I'm on the fence about that. We will find out because CDC is looking at tens of thousands of viral isolates every week, and so we're going to find out if it's here. So big picture, Dr. Collins, does this new variant set us back? in our efforts to end this pandemic once and for all? Well, it's certainly not good news. We don't know yet how much of an impact this will have. It ought to redouble our efforts to use the tools that we have, which are vaccinations and boosters. And to be sure, we're getting those to the rest of the world too, which the U.S. is doing more than any other country. 
It also means we need to pay attention to those mitigation strategies that people are just really sick of, uh, like wearing masks when you're indoors uh, with other people who might not be vaccinated and keeping that social distance issue. I know, America, you're really tired of hearing those things, but the virus is not tired of us and it's shape-shifting itself. If you imagine we're on a racetrack here, the virus just sort of emerged in a new version and it's trying to catch up with us and we have to use every kind of tool in our toolbox to keep that from getting uh, in a situation that makes this worse. Dr. We can do this, but we have to do it all together. Dr. Francis Collins, thank you so much. I realize there are a lot of unanswered questions. We will have you back as we get more of the answers uh, soon, hopefully. Thank you so much. Glad, glad to be with you. And I want to turn now to the leader of a state that is still struggling with major vaccine hesitancy, Republican Governor Asa Hutchinson of Arkansas. Governor, thank you for joining me. I want to ask you about this new Omicron coronavirus variant. More than half of your residents in Arkansas remain unvaccinated. Is your state prepared to deal with this new variant? Well, Delta has been tough on us, and so we don't welcome a new variant. And it is a great concern, but I think the message as a governor is steady as you go. We obviously have to have more information, but let's take this window to get better prepared by increasing our vaccination rates. We're making great progress in Arkansas. We continue to go up in our vaccination rate. We continue to encourage that. And we've got a window here to seal it off. And, uh, and you compare where we are now to last year when we were really spiking up. We're much less than that. Our vaccination rates are up. So I'm much more optimistic about getting through this winter. But uh, obviously a new variant uh, is a concern. Let's get vaccinated. That's our best protection. Well, as you just did, you have been consistently using your platform to, to beg people in your state to get vaccinated, but you will not impose a vaccine mandate. Arkansas might be doing better, but it still has the eighth lowest vaccination rate in the country. So is it time to acknowledge that your approach isn't working? Uh, not at all. In fact, uh, what we've seen is that through education, through information, vaccination rates go up and that's more productive than a mandate that comes down that people instinctively resist. And so you have to know uh, the culture, you have to know uh, what, uh, how people respond to it. And in Arkansas, uh, that information-based uh, education uh, is what is working and will be effective. The mandates are not something that the people of Arkansas are gonna respond well to. So that makes uh, progress. But one other point, and that is you look at globally, whenever we have a high vaccination rate compared to South Africa with about a 6% vaccination rate, we have to increase vaccination rates globally. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's gonna be a groundswell of mu mutations that come along and we continually fight that. So I do hope as United States, we can do more to help globally in terms of increasing those vaccination rates as well as here. I want to ask you about the economy now. Inflation is justifiably getting a lot of attention. People feel it every day in their lives. But if you look at the broader economic picture, there are some really positive indicators. New jobless claims are at their lowest level in 52 years. Wages, retail sales, overall GDP, that's all up. Does President Biden deserve some credit for that? Well, I, I, the inflationary pressures are at his feet. Uh, and that is the challenge. Much of the uh, supply challenges are at his feet uh, in terms of 
reducing uh, production domestically and relying more upon uh, international energy for the United States. We have to be energy independent. And so, yes, I think that is a challenge. But you look at uh, the economy as a whole here in Arkansas, we're at 4.3 percent, excuse me, a 3.7 percent unemployment rate, uh, which is lower than what we were before the pandemic began. And so our economy is moving, but we do have to increase our supply chain. We have to increase our worker engagement, uh, and that, those are critical needs and that does, we have. And does Joe Biden get some credit for the positive parts of the economy that even you say are happening in your state? Whenever you're at the top in your leader, leadership position, if something good happens, you can try to take credit <laughs> for it. So I don't have any problem with that at all. Those are the facts on the ground. But our pressures on inflation and on the supply chain, particularly energy, is something that he needs to correct. And so there's problems that he needs to address. And uh, we all want to come out of this. He puts it all on COVID. And I don't believe that is the biggest, well, it is a challenge, but uh, there are other things you can address, such as the inflationary pressures that he can control. Let me ask you about the state of your party, the Republican Party. I want you to listen and watch this video of Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert making a racist joke about Democratic Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. I look to my left, and there she is, Ilhan Omar. And I said, well, she doesn't have a backpack. We should be fine. Oh. <laughs> I looked over, and I said, oh, look, the Jihad Squad decided to show up for work today. <laughs> House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy finally released a statement about this yesterday. He said he called Boebert, encouraged her to meet with Omar, but notably did not publicly condemn what she said. And he's actually never publicly condemned Congressman Paul Gosar for tweeting an animated video of himself killing a Democratic congresswoman. So do you think McCarthy should be publicly condemning this kind of behavior? I do. I think whenever even in our own uh, caucus, our own members, if they go the wrong direction, I mean, it has to be uh, called out. Uh, it has to be uh, dealt with, uh, particularly whenever it is uh, breaching the civility, whenever it is crossing the line in terms of violence or, or, or increasing the divide in our country. So one of the things that's really important to us in the future is increasing the civil debate. Uh, and civil discourse. And we've got to look for ways that we can bring people together and not divide, and certainly along racial lines. I think uh, this last week, uh, our justice system gave two very good verdicts uh, that indicated that we can hold people accountable whenever they uh, go after somebody because of their race or uh, whenever they take the law into their own hands. So uh, let's Let's look for ways that we bring people together and let's decrease that divide. Thank you so much, Governor Asa Hutchinson of Arkansas. Thanks for joining me on this holiday weekend. Appreciate it. Thank you. And January 6th, that committee is now nearly half a year into its investigation. What are they learning about the deep planning that went on and how deep is their investigation able to go? I'll ask the committee member, a key one, Adam Schiff, next. And Democrats are coming back this week. And whether they're able to find agreement could have a huge impact on the economy and a handful of their vulnerable House members. I'll talk to one coming up.
Welcome back to State of the Union. The January 6th committee is widening its probe, issuing subpoenas for Trump allies Roger Stone and Alex Jones and far-right extremist groups like the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers. But as we approach the one-year anniversary of the Capitol attacks, it's still unclear who will talk, no matter how hard the committee tries to turn the legal screws. Joining me now is House Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff, a Democrat who sits on the select committee investigating the attacks on the Capitol. Uh, Mr. Chairman, thank you so much for joining me. I should also say you have a, a, a book out, Midnight in Washington. So let's talk about the January 6th committee. It is now roughly five months that you have been investigating. You've interviewed more than 200 witnesses, including former Trump administration officials. So have you found any evidence at all at this point that Donald Trump knew of plans for violence at the Capitol that day? Uh, Dan, I can't go into the evidence that we have gathered, uh, but I, I will say this, I think among the most important questions that we're investigating uh, is the complete role of the former president. Uh, that is, what did he know in advance about the propensity for violence that day? Uh, was this essentially the backup plan for the failed litigation around the country? Um, was this uh, something that was anticipated? How was it funded? What did the funders know about what was likely to happen that day? Um, and what was the president's response as the attack was going on, uh, as his own vice president was being threatened? I think among the the most uh, the broadest category of unknowns are those surrounding the former president, uh, and we are determined to get answers. But but at this point, I'm I am not in a position to uh, indicate what we know yet. You don't want to indicate what you know, but can you tell us if you know things? <laughs> are there things to <laughs> you know? know? I, I really uh, <laughs> let the committee I let the committee speak through our chairman and through our communications uh, team. Uh, so I don't want to get ahead of the okay. committee. But, you know, I can tell you that for everyone who is trying to obstruct, like the former president, like uh, Mr. Bannon and others, um, there are dozens and dozens of people who are coming forward voluntarily or who are coming forward um, when the committee requests that they do so. And so we are learning a great deal. But it is a broad investigation mm -hmm. uh, into the security lapses, into the intelligence problems, uh, into the participation of these uh, right-wing white nationalist groups, the former president's participation, those in his cabinet. Uh, we will follow the evidence if it leads back to members of Congress as well. So it's comprehensive. So let's get specific. Two weeks ago, you said that the January 6th committee would move very quickly to refer former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows for criminal contempt charges after he defied a subpoena. Is that still likely going to happen? And if so, when? Uh, I think we will probably make a decision this week on our course of conduct uh, with uh, th that particular witness and maybe others. Uh, I can't go into, you know, what communications that we're having or haven't had uh, with particular witnesses. But uh, we are moving with alacrity uh, with anyone who obstructs the committee. Uh, and that was certainly the case with Mr. Bannon. It would be the case with Mr. Meadows, uh, Mr. Clark uh, or any others. You said there are communications. Does that mean that there's some cooperation or is it just communication? Can you just describe that? It, I mean, can you see getting to a point where you won't uh, refer for criminal charges? I can't talk uh, specifically about a particular witness, but I can tell you with a variety of witnesses, we've had uh, engagement uh, with them through their counsel. Uh, some who, like Bannon, flatly refused to cooperate. Uh, others, uh, like Clark, who came in but refused to answer questions. Uh, and, and still others that we've been in communication with. 
Uh, so it varies witness to witness, uh, but we discuss as a committee and with our legal counsel what's the appropriate step to make sure the American people get the information. Uh, we intend to hold public hearings uh, again soon uh, to bring the public uh, along with us uh, and, and show what we're learning in real time. But, uh, but we're going to make these decisions very soon. I want to ask you about something a federal judge said who is overseeing some of the January 6 cases. He said in a court hearing this month that the rioters that day were, quote, called to Washington, D.C. by an elected official, prompted to walk to the Capitol by an elected official. Those who created the conditions that led to their conduct have in no meaningful measure been held accountable. He appears to be referring to former President Trump. Do you believe that Merrick Garland's Justice Department is letting Trump off the hook? Well, I am concerned about certain things. Uh, in particular, frankly, and this is not uh, January 6th related specifically, at least to the violence of that day, but I am concerned that uh, there does not appear to be an investigation unless it's being done very quietly by the Justice Department of, for example, the former president on the phone with the Georgia Secretary of State uh, asking him to find, really demanding he find 11,780 votes that don't exist, the precise number he would need to overturn uh, Joe Biden's victory in that state. I think, Dana, if you or I were on that call and recorded, we'd be under investigation, uh, if not indictment by now, for a uh, criminal effort to defraud the people of Georgia and the people of the country. So that, that specifically I'm concerned about, uh, but I do share the judge's uh, broad concern uh, that those responsible for the violence uh, that day in terms of organizing it uh, have yet to be held so, to account. It sounds like you're saying you want the Biden administration, the Biden Justice Department, I should say, to be more aggressive. Well, look, we tried to hold the former president accountable through impeachment. That's the remedy that we have in Congress. Um, we are now trying to expose the full facts of the former president's misconduct, as well as those around him. Uh, it, it is certainly possible that what we reveal in our investigation will inform the Justice Department of other facts that they may not be aware of yet. Uh, and, and so we will pursue our role in this, which is to expose the malefactors, to bring about legislation as a result of our investigation to protect the country. But we will count on the Justice Department to play its role. Okay. Uh, Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff, thank you so much for joining me this morning. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy called Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene this week. But was that call to reprimand her or to shore up her support? Our panel is here next. Moms and dads are worried, asking, will there be enough food we can afford to buy for the holidays? Will we be able to get Christmas presents to the kids on time? And if so, will they cost me an arm and a leg? Families can rest easy. Welcome back. So there are some critical deadlines coming up for President Biden and Democrats in Congress in the next few weeks. Five days to fully fund federal agencies, 17 days until the debt ceiling needs to be lifted, 32 days to pass President Biden's social safety net if the administration and Congress want to do it before the end of the year. And our panel is back in person to discuss all this. So she'll start with you. What are the stakes for President Biden, particularly as his politically speaking, as his poll numbers are not so great? Well, stakes are high. And I think that if Democrats try to do what they did before Thanksgiving, which was sign an infrastructure bill, 
um, pass Build Back Better in the House and continue to make progress, then I think you will see their numbers go up. Now, I know that you heard President Biden talking a lot about how the cost of living is going up, inflation, the cost of gas, the cost of food, all of these things. I think it was smart for him to go out and address this issue to the American people ahead of the Thanksgiving holiday. He took action immediately and talked about how he was going to release um, barrels of gas so mm-hmm. that therefore of oil so that therefore um, gas prices would go down. And, you know, there's a lot at stake. And the yeah. president understands that in order to get our economy back on track, inflation down, lower costs of living, that you, we have to get this pandemic under control. So that's one thing. And then, Nina, I want to bring you in because you worked very hard for Bernie Sanders in the primary. He is going to be the one putting together this uh, this Build Back Better bill in, in the Senate. And he's not thrilled with some of the things that passed in the House. Uh, he's not thrilled with the fact that it doesn't look like paid family leave is going to be in there. And I, in the next segment, I'm going to talk to uh, Congressman Scott Geidheimer, who's a moderate Democrat, who says he needs the SALT tax deduction, the state and local tax deduction in there. But Senator Sanders, and I'm guessing you don't love that. I mean, you can't. I mean, one of the things that the senators talked about is let's really analyze this and look at if there are families. I think he said 400,000 and lower. Uh, let's do something about that. But let's not give a big tax breaks to the ultra wealthy in this country. The second highest expense in the B to the third power is <laughs> the salt. And as far as paid family and medical leave, I mean, we are the United States of America. If other industrialized nations can do that, we should do it, too. You want to talk about inflation. Let's deal with the things that will help people get back into the workplace. That's universal, you know, universal pre-K, child care, elder care. Those kinds of things matter. And until Big Mama is feeling like government is working, it's not working. You know, the, the whole the whole policy debate going on inside the Democratic Party right now shows what a mess the whole thing is for Joe Biden uh, you know, you mentioned gas prices. On the one hand, uh, he's shutting off pipelines and uh, begging our uh, uh, friends in the Middle East to pump out more oil. And on the other hand, he's releasing uh, the reserves and claiming it's going to lower prices. But we're not going to see that gas in the pipeline until, you know, December or January. It's a, it's a complete and total mess. On the one hand, he says, well, rich people have to pay their fair share. And then you've got Democrats celebrating, as the senator just said, passing a bill that gives massive tax breaks to some of the wealthiest people uh, in the United States. The mess is in the messaging and the mess is in normal life. Nothing's going to get better until people feel like life is back to normal. Can I buy the stuff I want to buy? Is gas outrageous? You know, can I go sit at my favorite little local diner and the, 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 the sitting area is actually open and my kid's school still under threat of being closed from, you know, time to time? It's normal life and it's a mess of messaging and they got no path out of it right now. I think that Democrats are really overestimating the political gain that they can get from passing this bill. It's going to be much less important for their political fortunes than what happens to the price of gas. Now, we've seen over the last month an adjustment in the Democratic message where they're talking about inflation and they're talking about this big spending bill as a way of addressing inflation. But it just doesn't smell right to most people. It's not a bill that anybody would have put together if your primary goal was addressing inflation. It's just it just doesn't sound right to say, well, the way we address the problem of the moment is by doing all the things we wanted to do before it was a big problem. And I think debt presidents get into trouble when what they're most concerned about is not what the public is most concerned about. But people about. are concerned about those issues, though. 
all of those issues, whether it's, you know, two-year college, uh, pre-K, universal health care, making sure that we expand Medicaid for our elders, people agree with those issues. I will say I didn't hear the complaints about inflation when within the CARE Act, the PPP, massive amount of money going to corporate America, but nobody was screaming about inflation. We talk about inflation when these programs are designed to help the people who have the greatest needs. What I do agree is that we got to give people something they can feel. And so the people inside the bubble can celebrate and slap happy and pat each other on the back and say we've done a good job. And again, until the people who need it the most start to feel it, it doesn't matter. But talk about messes. I mean, Republicans have no standing in talking We're about We're going to talk about that in a second. Well, just, to add, just to add, Nina, I just want to point out the fact that Republicans are talking about inflation in terms of a gold mine. I think that, and you have Democrats trying to solve it. They're actually trying to give checks to people, put money in people's pockets, while Republicans are here trying to run on it as a campaign issue. People are hurting. Biden was put in power to fix things. What is he doing? He is working on fixing them, getting us back from this pandemic. We had a jobs report that we're at 4.6 unemployment Experts did not believe that that was going to happen for another two years. Our economy is coming back. Supply does not meet demand. And Biden is fixing it while you have Republicans complaining it and trying to benefit off of the American people. And explain to me how Republicans will go to their constituents and say, I did not vote to put money in your pocket. I did not vote for Build Back Better. So I want to talk about something you alluded to, which is the state of your party, the Republican Party. Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, she sort of apologized. If you, I'm not sure we would give her that, but she pretended to, I think is probably a better way to say it. She made a racist and Islamic, Islamophobic joke about Congresswoman uh, Ilhan Omar. The Democratic leadership put out a statement saying, Leader McCarthy and the entire House Republican leadership's repeated failure to condemn inflammatory and bigoted rhetoric from members of their conference is outrageous. We call on Republican on the Republican leadership to address this priority with the Congresswoman and to finally take real action to confront racism. Ramesh, this isn't the first time members of the Republican Party have said things that are frankly racist. And what does it say about the leadership of the party in the House in particular that they're not condemning it? Well, I think one of the things it says is that we've got a weak House leadership. And I don't think that that's just a, que- a reflection on the personal qualities of the House Republican leaders. It's the way the House has now evolved, where the leadership can't really discipline its members in a strong way. And you see that. You've seen that actually in both parties. You've seen that, uh, ironically enough, with Congresswoman Ilhan Omar herself vis a vis Nancy Pelosi. McCarthy knows that his standing in the House conference will not survive many defections uh, from his followership, and that puts real bind on him. Well, on that note, look at what is going on with Marjorie Taylor Greene and Kevin McCarthy. He um, is maybe challenged by another Republican for leader or maybe speaker, if that's the way the, uh, the votes go in 2022. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene She has a history of making racist remarks. She has a lot of pull with the Republican base. Listen to what she said this past week. Kevin McCarthy has a problem in our conference. He doesn't have the full support to be speaker. He doesn't have the votes that are there because there's many of us that are very unhappy about the failure to hold Republicans accountable while conservatives like me, Paul Gosar, and many others just constantly take the abuse by the Democrats. 
Now, after that, she tweeted out that she spoke on the phone with McCarthy and like what, liked what he has planned ahead. But, Scott, what does this say about the leadership in the GOP that he didn't necessarily, uh, th- that he clearly needs her? Well, he needs her today. Uh, you know, we'll see how big the House Republican majority is come next November. I think it's a mortal lock, frankly, that the Republicans are going to win. We'll see what the size of the majority is. But he plays this game every week, trying to keep, you know, these folks happy on the on the edges. And this is the way, you know, they exist in politics by saying things that get them on the news and throw their followers. And then they collect their donations and the, and the world keeps spinning for them. I ultimately don't think Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, knows what the House Republican count is on whether Kevin McCarthy's got the votes to be speaker or not. Uh, and I wouldn't pay terribly close attention to her <laughs> whip counting abilities. I think McCarthy will be the next speaker. But obviously, there are people that he has to placate. And it doesn't feel great when you've got Boebert and Green and others going out there uh, saying outrageous garbage commentary that doesn't speak for me as a Republican. I know it doesn't speak for Ramesh. Uh, we have real problems in the country. We were just discussing them. I think the Republicans have the path forward uh, for the country that's going to get us out of them. But these people get in the way. They get in the way of having discussions about these policy issues uh, when they say crazy things. And so I wish Kevin McCarthy would take a little stronger hand uh, uh, with these folks and let them know that the Republican brand depends on us having messages against Joe Biden and the problems he's causing and not messages you know, like what we're seeing out of Boebert and Green and others. I'm going to have to end it there. Thank you all for coming in. Again, it's nice to see you in person. Appreciate it. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you guys had a great one. And coming up, he's a moderate Democrat. When standing in the middle of the road means you're attacked from both sides. I went back home to New Jersey to spend time with Congress, the congressman there to see how the fight for the balance of power is really playing out. Welcome back to State of the Union. The most dangerous political ground these days could be common ground, as some moderate Democrats in key swing districts are finding out that it's really hard as they sell President Biden's social safety net plan. One of them is a congressman who represents my hometown in New Jersey. It's Josh Gottheimer. And he was recently dubbed the man in the middle by the Bergen record. And as the paper noted, walking down the middle of any street can get you killed, especially in today's political climate. I, uh, Zero. Hey, thank you. At first glance, it's like a scene in a movie. A bunch of local leaders gathered under a bridge in Hackensack, New Jersey. Thank you guys very much. But it's a real political event, one Congressman Josh Gottheimer has been waiting months to hold. The bipartisan infrastructure bill is a huge game changer. That bill he pushed hard for is now law. His urgent political goal now, touting its concrete results. You all have wanted more resources to fix them, and when you get it, you do the job. Gottheimer is a moderate Democrat from a northern New Jersey district represented by Republicans for decades before he was elected in 2016. It's where this reporter grew up. We were represented in Washington by a moderate Republican. Right. Now you are a moderate Democrat. Could easily switch back. Well, I hope not. You hope but not. Yeah, but, 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 but the people, yeah, but, but people the want our... I think overall what, and what they say to me is they want reasonableness. They want people who 
just bring common sense ideas. They don't want people who scream and yell. They want people like them who just figure out how to get stuff done. Hey, how are you? That's the feedback he got from the lunchtime crowd at the Ridge Diner in nearby Park Ridge. We both get together and just get along with each other. We'd be fine. Isn't that the whole thing? Is that the whole thing? Yeah. Gottheimer is one of the most vulnerable Democrats on the ballot in 2022. His district includes two counties that went heavily for Trump in 2016 and 2020. As we sat down to talk... That's a bad... Oh, yeah, I'm getting attacked on TV right there. Look. <laughs> They're attacking me. Playing right there in the diner, an ad from the conservative American Action Network. But Josh Gottheimer sold out New Jersey. He gets hit from the left in his own party, too. Stop obstructing President Biden. Well, my job is I don't work for the National Democratic Party, right? I work for the 5th District. If you do this job right, you're like a big mayor. You should be thinking about what your councils and your mayors are talking to you about and be responsive to them and to all the people you represent. His political challenge next year hit home hard when local Democrats across New Jersey lost elections here this month, and the governor's margin of victory was closer than anticipated. Just like they were frustrated in Virginia, people were really frustrated that we hadn't taken action. Gottheimer was front and center in the Democrats' tug-of-war, pushing his progressive colleagues to pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill months ago and not wait for the larger social safety net package. Bill is passed. Now that the second bill passed the House, he says Democrats need to do better explaining what's in it. The $1.9 trillion price tag is a hard sell in parts of his district. Whether you're talking about lower taxes or you're talking about pre-K or child care, hey, those are all when you, those are all bipartisan things that Democrats and Republicans care about. You know, I think we've just gotten a little lost on, on how we talk about it. What makes his sales job easier? This revives the state and local tax deduction, known as SALT, which would help address his constituents' top complaint, high taxes. I can talk about, hey, I got salt back, right? We're going we're gonna to make, make life more affordable for you. And they go, oh, I like that. Where do you think the Democratic Party is right now? Is it in the right place as far as you're concerned? I think most people in the Democratic Party are somewhere in the middle or middle of the left. Listen, Bernie Sanders lost, right? And um, that, that's not where our party is. Bernie Sanders, a key player as this bill heads to the Senate, doesn't like those tax deductions that are popular here. Back in the car, Gottheimer mentioned Sanders again while talking about the state of the Democratic Party. We're not into socialism, right? That's not, that's not, that's, it's not in the Democratic Party, that's the, right? We are about pragmatic problem solving and people who can just get things done and work together. Do you feel that you have to say we're not about socialism because you're being painted that way or because you're being pulled that way? No, because that's a reminder that we're not... We're not the party of Bernie Sanders, we're the party of Joe Biden. We visited a local, healthy fast food restaurant up Route 17, World Flats, another hard reality for incumbent Democrats like Gottheimer. Supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. Supply chain issues and worker shortages. Usually high school and college kids are usually the brunt of the workforce, 80, 90%. Right, right nothing. The congressman had some fun behind the counter making his own delicious plant-based meal. The life of a vulnerable House Democrat. One bite, one vote at a time. Yeah, just call me. I'll give you my card. Just call me. I'll give you my cell. Gave out that cell phone a lot. Thank you so much for inviting us back home, Congressman Gottheimer, and we will be right back.
Fareed Zakaria takes a look back at the roots of conspiracy theories that propelled the January 6th attack. A radical rebellion, the transformation of the GOP, is next. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 